Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Forged in Ohio. As always, I'm Jake Murrin, and I'm the host of this very podcast. I hope you all enjoyed last week's interview with Hunter Watt. It was certainly one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. But we're keeping it going this week with yet another fantastic mixed martial arts fighter from the great state of Ohio. Joining me today is no amateur fighter. Instead, he's a five-in-one professional with some fantastic fights under his belt that I'm excited to talk about. Plus, he's the first heavyweight I've had on the program. He is Aaron, the Alpha Bush. Thanks for coming on, Aaron, and welcome to Forge in Ohio. What's up, buddy? Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the program. I've done a lot of film study, Aaron, and in one interview, you said that you were doing this before anybody else was doing this. You talked about fighting at the age of 15. What got you into the sport of mixed martial arts? My brother used to beat me up all the time. He's much older than me. He's like 12 years older than me. So he was just always throwing me around and taking on me like a big brother should. And uh, I just always wanted to beat him up. That was really my goal. I always wanted to be able to beat up my big brother. I guess I did pretty good. I guess I got to a situation where I could. Yeah, I have a bigger brother as well. I totally understand that. At the age of 15, though, you said you were in sanctioned and unsanctioned fights. Why were you fighting at such a young age? Um. Well, I've always just been kind of built different than other kids like my age. I mean, I started fighting at 15. And, uh, you know, I was fighting grown men. I was, I was already a middleweight, you know, I was walking around at like 200 pounds, pretty cut up. Uh, I would cut the middleweight at that age. And then, um, you know, I was fighting grown men. I was having a lot of success. I've always just been really strong and like really smart. And, um, I've always been pretty good at grappling and like grappling is kind of the thing in martial arts that is the hardest to get and probably the least popular so the least amount of people know it so you know i'm I'm a young kid i'm going up against these dudes who probably just want to take my head off and i was just you know i wasn't too physically outmatched by being younger and i was just way smarter and way more technical so so i i was just i was able to compete with the grown men a lot of it was due to my like fight iq at such a young age Fighting those grown men, I could only imagine what that was like at the age of 15. And even in those younger ages, when you're first getting into the sport, was there any type of intimidation factor when you were getting into the fight game? I'm not going to lie. I've only been scared two times or had any type of like intimidation two times ever. It was the first one was before my very first fight. And I wasn't even scared until they started playing my music. And I was totally calm as a cucumber. And then once they started playing my music, that's when I started to get nervous and uh, my butterflies. And then for my pro debut, I was fighting Matt Comer. And Matt Comer's a big dude. I don't know if you know who that guy is. He's just a big, intimidating-looking dude. You know, I'm kind of short, chubby. Uh, you know, I'm not, like, physically imposing-looking. And it was my pro debut, you know, I dreamed of this moment since I was a little kid, like making my professional debut. So I started getting a little butterflies before that one. But those ones actually went away when my music hit. Once my music hit, I kind of went back to the zone and like I had to go and do do my job. I feel like I never really get nervous 
because I always live my life ready to die. I don't know if that makes sense. Always living your life ready to die. Where does that come from? Where did you get that mindset? Live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse. And uh, that's kind of how I always live my life, you know? Live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse. I was just, I've kind of gone back and forth with depression uh, my whole life. So, you know, when you really don't care about yourself and you don't care about living or dying, the pressure of going in and getting into a fist fight kind of goes away because you're not really worried about getting hurt. You're not really worried about, you know, being embarrassed or anything like that. I never really had like the pressure or the fear of anything bad happening to me because I kind of had a total disregard for my safety and well-being. I was able to just kind of throw myself in there and put pressure on people. And like, I always felt, I just wanted to be there more than everybody else did. Like, I always kind of feel like when I get in there and I'm looking at these people in the eye, I very rarely see somebody else who is coming to hurt me. Oftentimes I see a lot of people and they're athletes. You know what I mean? I feel like mixed martial arts nowadays is the highest level it's ever been. Uh, So you have the highest talent and the best athletes. I feel like sometimes you get these guys who are just athletes and they kind of get into fighting because it's popular, but they're not really fighters. They don't really have that dog in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you mentioned your struggles with depression and I wanted to talk about mental health a little bit. And since you brought it up, um, I'm totally understand if you don't want to get into it too much, but with mental health issues that you have dealt with in the past with depression, has any of that been relating to the fight game and how does the fight game relate to those mental health issues that you went through? Man, it's kind of a give and take with the fight game because you're always chasing the next one. And then when you're not chasing the next one, you kind of feel like you don't really have anything worth living for. You get in the cage and, you know, you beat this dude in front of everybody he loves. He's been talking smack. You've been talking smack. You finally pull up and you show that you're the man. And then, you know, you got to go to work on Monday morning and go back to like living a normal life. And it's a weird up and down. It's the weird roller coaster to get on. And like, I got to a point to where I kind of felt like fighting to find who I was. And like, I was a fighter and that's like all I was. Like when I was a young, I just, when I was young, I just had a lot of stuff like going on at home and stuff. But uh, as I got older and like more mature, the fight game just kept me always like looking for that next, that next high. If you know what I mean? And when you're not chasing it, you kind of don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, almost like the the fight game became your identity in a way. It sounds like. Oh yeah. So when I fought Chandler Cole, I was already like spiraling, kind of out of control. But uh, after losing that fight, I literally was just like, I'm never gonna fight again. No, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to do anything. I kind of threw a full on like temper tantrum about that. And uh, mostly because I was just, I wasn't mentally strong at that moment anyway. And then that kind of just broke me a little bit. And that fight just four years ago, I noticed that four year layoff between that Chandler Cole fight and your most recent fight. Is that why? Because of those mental health issues? Oh, yeah. I gained, I gained 100 pounds after the Chandler Cole fight. Was it a hard transition getting back down to heavyweight? Uh, 
I'm not going to lie. Going from 350 down to heavyweight is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my whole life. Just to be that big, everything hurts, man. Like, your knees hurt, your feet hurt. Like, you wear your car chair out more, you wear the couch out more. When you're that big, man, everything just sucks. And, like, that snowballed the depression. Like, you know what I mean? Because, again, like, I've defined my whole life as being an athlete. And being like, you know, the baddest dude walking, and then you're just some fat dude walking down the street. It's hard to it's hard to be happy with yourself. You know what I mean? You're always chasing the best version of you in the fight game. It's always you versus you. You versus you every day. I go in there and I fight myself. I fight who I was yesterday. And it's like it's hard, it's hard to love yourself in the fight game, bro. Because you're always chasing to get better. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And this is the second time that mental health has been brought up on Forge in Ohio. And I'm totally welcome to these types of conversations. I think it plays a lot with fighters. Like, look at like, right. Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury was retired for, like, four months before he had to come back. He's like, it's terrible, bro. I don't know what to do. And then, like, like he said, like, when he beat Vladimir Klitschko, that was, like, the worst night of his life. He said the seven years leading up to that fight were the best seven years, and the seven years after has been the worst. Because he's, you know, accomplished everything he wanted to do, and he did everything he wanted to do. So, like, it's like when you when you train for a fight, you have this goal in mind, and then once you accomplish it, you have to go get another goal, or you, you're lost. Yeah, I totally understand that. And I have listened to those Tyson Fury interviews where he talks about how he gets so depressed when he's not in the gym and preparing for another fight. After that Chandler Cole fight that you had, though. What helped you get out of those mental health struggles that you're going through? I have a I have a pretty good support system. I have a lot of good friends. I uh, have a lot of people who love me, and uh, I, I kind of I got grounded a little bit with nature. I've never been one to go outside too much. You know, I wasn't big on like hiking or, you know, canoeing or kayaking or doing anything like that. And then, you know, I got really like into kayaking and I started kayaking like every week um you know and that kind of is what motivated me to start like getting in shape again and like get more active and just start to love myself a little bit more you know what I mean just you know they say they say that uh like walking outside barefoot does more for your body than what like people know it says that it can actually change like the charge of your your body so like i mean i just got i started going outside a lot more started like yeah. appreciating more of like what uh i just started appreciating like the earth you know what i have more than worrying about you know what i don't have and you know what people expect me to have and things like that this might be an oddball question aaron but I have family members that have gone through some things and in hindsight, it always feels like going through those things were the best possible solution to getting them where they are now. Looking back at those times where you might've been rock bottom, are you maybe look at those times at a different light or appreciative of those times? Because now you're on the other side, looking back in a much better place. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm super appreciative of those of those times um it kind of lets me know that i can overcome a lot it lets me know that like the struggles that i face you know they come and go 
and that that not everything can be fixed immediately and sometimes things take time to be fixed i used to be one of those people where like uh like if i made a mistake i had to make up for it right then and there and i'd like almost stress out about it and like you know i i would do that in my relationships and at my work and everything you know what i mean you know you make your girlfriend mad and she's mad at you and you want to do everything you can to make it up to her right then and there but it's like you can't always do that i learned to appreciate the process and understand that like some of your mistakes you can't fix immediately some things take time like like losing my weight you know i gained i gained 100 pounds 350 pounds and i had to realize that like i wasn't going to lose that weight in a day in a week in a month that i was going to have to really trust the process it told me to just keep going man keep going tomorrow tomorrow's not here yesterday doesn't exist anymore like you only really have today and what you choose to do today yeah those are some inspirational words i am curious though that process of going from 350 back down to becoming in shape being that competitive heavyweight that you are now how long did that process take so for me i really didn't put a whole lot of stress on a time limit on a goal like I really just my my goal was to be a healthy person, just live a healthy lifestyle, you know, <laughs> not eat so much like processed junk. Cause dude, I'm a food addict. I'm I have a huge problem with food. I mean, that's why I even fight heavyweight in the first place. Like you look at me, and you're like that dude should fight like light heavyweight or maybe even middleweight. But uh, I have a real problem with food. So like just not looking at it as like a diet. Or like, okay, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. It was like, I'm going to be a healthy person. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat right. I'll tell you, actually, this is this is the moment that really uh, changed a lot of things for me. This is the moment. We're about to get dark. This is about to take a turn. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. I uh, I was about to kill myself. And... You know, I'm talking to myself and I kind of ask myself, why do you hate yourself so much? And then it's like, I'm thinking like, well, of course you hate yourself. You treat yourself like shit. All you do is talk negatively about yourself, you know, with my self-talk, you know what I mean? Like I make a mistake and you're just like, oh, you idiot. You're dumb. I can't believe you did that. You know, you feed your body junk that slows it down, makes it sluggish, makes it tired. You know, you don't do anything to stimulate your mind. You know, you don't, you're not reading books. You're not studying martial arts anymore. You're not, you know, seeking information or wisdom. Like you're doing, you're not being a good friend to yourself. So I kind of made this deal with myself that, uh, you know, I couldn't kill myself because I didn't do everything I could. I, 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 came to the conclusion that I hated myself because of what I was doing to me. And I said, you know, if you, you know, if you get in shape, this is all me talking to me. If you get in shape, you, you know, you fight again, everything happens and you still want to kill yourself. Just do it. Don't even think about it. Just do it. And, uh, I mean, once I started like being a good friend to myself and doing everything I could for myself, like, I mean, obviously the depression went away. But I just always treated myself so bad. 
at that lowest of lows, nearly committing suicide, like you mentioned, how were you able to go from that lowest of lows, like I mentioned, to just saying, hey, treat myself better, become a better person, get healthier, like you said. How were you able to avoid making that mistake? It's hard to explain, but it's hard to kill yourself. People think it's like, they'll say, oh, it's the coward's way out. It's tough, bro. It's a scary moment right before you do it. Or like, so obviously, you know, I'm sitting there and it's almost like a hostage situation with my mind where I'm like, one part of me is like about to pull the trigger and the other part of me is like begging me not to. And then I guess in that moment, I, I bargained with myself. Like I made a deal with myself to where it's like, okay, if you do everything right and it still wants to happen, like, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. Like, and I was just going to do it. But like, when I made the commitment to, when I made that commitment that I was going to be a good friend to myself and I was going to be good to me and take care of myself, uh, you know, as far as like, you know, eating the right things, exercising, you know, stimulating my mind, uh, doing things that I enjoy. That is when it almost went away. Like overnight, I was almost like a different person, like almost immediately. It was almost like, like the sun shining through the clouds. I mean, I could only imagine what that dark time was like for you. And I'm happy that you made that bargain with yourself. Thank you for sharing that story. And when you were coming back and trying to become healthy, you said your goal was just to become a healthy person and treat yourself right. Was fighting in the back of your mind at all? Or was it just, hey, let's live a better lifestyle? I always knew fighting was going to come with it. Cause that's as much as I try to deny it, that is who I am. It's just, it's what I do. Uh, I really feel like I can't, I can't avoid it. It's, it's something that calls me like to a point that like, again, it, it's almost depressing. Cause it's like, so I fight with it. Cause sometimes I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. But then it's like it's almost like in a drug it's almost like a drug it's almost like an addiction and like i'm i got two kids you know i got i got an eight-year-old and i got a six-year-old and it's uh it's tough it's tough to keep fighting because like part of me feels like it's selfish part of me feels like you know I'm, i'm risking so much for my own personal gain, like, what does it really do for anybody, me going out there and fighting? It doesn't help my kids. It doesn't help. You know what I mean? It's really just a selfish thing because I have some weird, like, bloodlust to hurt people. But then, it, again, it calls you. It calls you, and then, like, everybody you love, like, is super proud of you when you go out there and you do it. So it's just a weird thing. Like I said, I feel like it's kind of selfish, and if I could probably, I don't know, kick the addiction, I probably would, but, like, I love it. I love I love fighting. And honestly, I'm more motivated now to fight than I've ever been fighting. I never really took fighting seriously, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I trained really hard when I was younger. But, you know, after like, you know, 21, 22, I barely even trained. I barely worked out and I would just go and take these, pro- like m- pretty much my whole professional career, I barely trained. I was training out of a gym like, 
like a lifetime fitness or something. You know what I mean? Just going in and hitting a heavy bag, getting in shape. And it was just like, no, nah, I'm pretty good at this. I think I could beat him up. I'm going to play devil's advocate for something you said earlier, though. You said that fighting calls to you and you find it selfish. Could you also argue that you're fighting for something other than yourself? You might be fighting for your family. You might be fighting to provide something for your family. And that's very unselfish. The harsh reality of it is, you know, fighting is never going to make me a lot of money, really. You know what I mean? Unless you get to the very, very elite elite. But like the vast, vast majority of the fighters don't make $100,000 a year. I, I think the statistic was like 60% of fighters don't make six figures in the UFC. So it's like, I'm, I'm a salesman. You know, I do pretty okay for myself financially. I go, I go and I fight. That's a huge risk for me you know, to go out there and miss out on work or something like that. When honestly getting into the UFC and sacrificing everything that I'd have to sacrifice to be in the UFC, I would, I would have to take a pay cut, like, to be honest with you. So I fight now because I want to show my kids that you need to challenge yourself. You need to, you need to push yourself and do things that are scary and do things that are hard and that people don't want to do. And that whatever it is that you're passionate about, you can't, you can do this. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be hard. It's not going to be a walk in the park. And, you know, there might be some obstacles in your way, but like you can overcome anything. So I fight really now to motivate more than, more than like financial gain or anything. Like when I think about the positives and like the pros of me fighting, it's mostly about, showing my kids that whatever it is that you love to do, do it, be happy and go out there and, and live your life to the fullest and do what you can while you can do it. You know, I'm 30 years old. I don't have too many years left in me. I'm kind of in like, you know, the shit that get off the pot timeline where, you know, I could look back on my career and be like, Oh dude, you under accomplished. You didn't do what you should have done. You know, I'm five and one as a pro not training literally not even training at a mixed martial arts gym, not even doing martial arts. So it's like, I can look back and it's like, man, what if I had a good camp, man? What if I did have these coaches? I did all this. And it's like, I can look back or I can just start right now and just see how far I can go right now and maybe inspire a couple people along the way. That, that honestly is, uh, is my pro to it. It's like, I feel like I can inspire a lot of people. I feel like I can motivate my kids to be the best of them, push them to do hard things that people don't think they can do and people think they're crazy for doing. And, you know, when when I fight these big buff heavyweights and, you know, they're looking down on me and everyone's like, oh, dude, this is a scary dude. And I go up there and I smash him. Like, I just think about the message that that sends my kids. Like, dude, don't let anybody doubt you. Like, believe in yourself and take care of business. I hate to bring it back up again, but when you were at your lowest of lows with your mental health issues, did you ever see the light at the end of the tunnel, which is where you're at now serving as this beacon of light and this inspiration to your kids? Honestly, that's part of the thing that depresses me is that you see that you see the light every day. You see the light every day and you're in the darkness. So 
you're looking at yourself and you're constantly looking in that mirror that you're not living up to. And that's where the negative self-talk comes from. You know what I mean? You're constantly comparing yourself to your best self. So then you're like, oh man, you're a piece of crap. You're garbage, dude. You're fat. Look at you. Like, dude, why are you even trying? What are you doing, idiot? Like, it's really the light that kind of makes you depressed a little bit. You know what I mean? And a lot of it is based around your own actions. Like, I'm not, as somebody who, you know, went through a lot of, like, depression and stuff, to be honest with you, a lot of it was me. A lot of it was just me doing the wrong thing and making bad decisions and then not having a high enough accountability to go, this is your fault. You're doing mistakes. You're making mistakes. And instead of like, you know, Aaron, you messed up. You just start to do things like, oh, my life is terrible. I'm an idiot. I hate my life. It's like, dude, you don't hate your life. You hate the decisions you're making. You know, not everybody's that way, but like a lot of my problems were totally self-inflicted. When I really think about about it, like, you know, I'm I'm a really funny dude. We never hung out, but you know, you'd enjoy it. I'm a funny dude. I'm a smart dude. You know, I'm a I'm a good athlete. I'm I'm pretty interesting, dude. Like I got a lot of things going for me, and for some reason, I hated myself. Even at the, my very like best growing, I just hated myself and like. Again, it was because I was always comparing myself to, to like, you know, like God made me. I was always chasing that and comparing myself to, to the light, you know what I mean? And then when I'm in my darkest moment, you know, you look at, you look back at who you were or who you want to be and who you're not. And again, it really comes back to not appreciating who you are in like the small thing. I was so worried about the things I didn't have. I didn't appreciate anything that I did have. I didn't appreciate my kids. I didn't appreciate, you know, my family. You know, I thought everybody would be better off without me. Like, you know, that's not true. I can look back at it now and go, like, that's just not how it was. But, like, you know, at that time, it was like, you think everybody would be better off without you? That you're a burden to people? But really, it's just me not having accountability for my mistakes. You know what I mean? Okay, so, like, say I do something to, like, upset my sister and she gets mad at me. Instead of being like, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It was like a, oh, I hate my life. Like, I'm such an idiot. You, you, you see the difference in the reactions? Yeah. And, like, I see that a lot in people now that I've kind of gone through it. And I try to just take more accountability for my actions. You know what I mean? When you can start taking accountability for your actions, that, that's when you start walking towards the light. That's when you, when you don't want to take accountability for what you're doing and where you are in your life. Because... I hate to say it, but everybody doesn't have the same opportunities and everybody doesn't have the same, you know, starting points, but everybody, everybody has choices. And no matter what, no matter what, I always, I always try to think about what I did to put me in that situation. How did I get here? What decisions did I make? You know what I mean? Say like, okay, like your girlfriend's giving you a hard time or whatever. You, you do have the choice to stay. You do have the choice to leave. Each of these choices are going to have different ramifications. You know what I mean? You know, if, if you stay and you're miserable, that's your fault. You're, you're living a miserable life because it's your fault. Because, you know, you you're choose to stay with this person that, you know, you don't really love. Or, you know, you work a job that you hate. Like, you, you do have the option to go and leave that job. 
I mean, I hate I, as somebody who's had different jobs and you know, I have kids that I have to provide for, but dude, you have the opportunity to go and get a different job and have a new career path. Like, so if you stay in one thing that you hate, or if you look in the mirror and you're like, you know, you're, you're fat and you're ugly or whatever, did you have the option to go to the gym and you have the option to order the salad instead of the Big Mac? So when I stop, when I stop, started taking accountability that's when you start to walk towards the light and once you're in the light it's hard to think about going back to the dark like when you've been in the darkness and then you get into the light and you're like i never ever want to go back there again ever it makes you really appreciate the light that you do have no matter how small it is you truly do serve as an inspiration aaron i'm sure people listening to this feel the same way your story is incredible and if you keep this going, I'm sure you're going to inspire more people, maybe even a career in motivational speaking down the line makes sense for you. You mentioned that you're more motivated than ever right now. And knowing that you have not trained properly for a fight in your five and one professional heavyweight career, is that something you're planning on doing to find an MMA gym and continue this journey in fighting? I guess it's not really negotiations. We haven't like gone back and forth with anything, but like there's verbal agreements for me to fight in April against the toughest fighter I've ever fought. Uh, he's a division one college wrestler, you know, in a top conference. I mean, dude wrestled for Penn state. I mean, I have a verbal commitment to fight him. I got a lot of respect for that type of athlete. Normally like it, it's, it's tough being as talented as I am. Cause it's kind of a curse. Cause it's like, I look at some of these fighters and I'm like, they're not good. I'm just going to walk through them anyway. So then, and then I go out there and I do it and it's like, okay, well, what's the point in training? Like when you know, you can just go out there and walk through people, but like, I'm at a level right now, you know, once I get to about five and one as a pro and I'm starting to fight other people who are just absolute killers like me, I got to go and do the killer stuff. Like I got to go to the gyms. I got to go and do that stuff. Do you know so, the, like, the name of that athlete from Penn state? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. He's not like a like a highly uh he's probably not super well known to like what I would say like casual fans, but like if you know if you know the sport you'd probably know him. He's not like a like a bone maker or Anthony he's not he's not like uh sure. someone like that. Uh his name his name's uh James Lawson or Jimmy Lawson. He's from New Jersey. He's three time New Jersey champ. I don't even know if they talked to this dude about it. I don't know if I should even be revealing this, but whatever. <laughs> We're here. Let's do it. But dude, that's a fight that gets me excited. That's a fight that motivates me. To me, it's a fight that, honestly, I kind of have less pressure on than, like, most of my fights. Because, like, you know, this is a dude who's on paper probably should beat me. But he won't, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's that. But that it just gets me excited. It gets me, it gets me wanting to go and be the best, my, the best I can be. It gets me wanting to, like, you know, be in the gym, you know, really studying my martial arts, like, sharpening my tools, making sure that everything is as crisp as they can be. Because, like, unfortunately or fortunately, I'm so much better than most people that I don't have to be my best, and I'll still win. And, I mean, you can tell it in most of my fights. Like, dude, half the time, like, in my last fight with Kelvin, Kelvin dude, I barely tried. Like, that was easy, dude. It, it, it's to a point that I was like kind of talking to my coaches about what I was going to do and stuff. And he was like, dude, if you don't just take this dude down and choke him out, like, so I can go home. Like it was almost annoyed with me that I was even like trying to like 
oh, I'm going to do this. They were like, dude, just take him down and choke him out. What are you talking about? Like, this, we should be in and out of here and messing around. When you get to that level, I was just cursed with, like, being lazy, too. Like, I just was lazy with it. So my talent made me so lazy because, like, I just knew I was going to win. So, like, now that I have this dude out here who's like, okay, this dude, this dude might beat me, bro. If I don't come out and perform, like, this dude's going to beat me. I didn't come to lose. You know what I mean? I come, I come to win every single time. And if I don't set myself up to win, I'm going to lose. I believe I can beat this dude. And I believe I, I can surprise a lot of people. I think I can take him down. I think I can outstrike him. I think I can do a lot of good things in this fight. And again, I, I got a lot of respect for this dude. So, and I won't be able to do none of that if I'm not at the very top of my game, but I believe in myself. And I think that like, I think this is a good opportunity for me to prove to myself that like how good I can be. Cause like this is the truth, but I think I'm the truth too. Yeah. Just looking him up a little bit, Jimmy Lawson, a three-time New Jersey state champion in wrestling had a four and one record in MMA before losing by decision 30 to 27 decision on all three judges scorecards. in I believe the most recent season of Dana White's contender series. So a definitely yeah, definite yeah. step up in competition, but you said you weren't even trying or you didn't train at all for like this Kelvin fight. And it was a dominating fight from the very beginning of the first round. And you win via rear naked choke in round one. Well, yeah, I mean, I hate to be like that, but there's, there's just not too many people who's going to stop me from taking them down and choking them out. I'm not like the greatest at jujitsu. I'm not the greatest wrestler, but I'm a really good mixed martial artist and I understand positioning and I understand control and I understand the small little nuances of things at a very high, high level. It's very difficult to stop me from doing what I do. So like, dude, even not practicing it, I can just go out there and do that. And it's just, it just is what it is. And I hate like, dude, (laughs) um, I fought Chris Beal. When I fought Chris Beal, I worked that day. I opened, I opened my store, left, went and fought Chris Beal, and then opened my store the next day. Yeah, and in that Chris Beal fight, minute 45 is all it took you to knock him out. Yeah, so, like, it got to a point to where it's just like, all right, dude, I'm going to go in there and take care of business. Like, this is going to be easy work, and then I'm going to be home. And You know what I mean? And then, like, the Chandler Cole fight, I actually took Chandler Cole series. I, I, I actually took Chandler Cole series all the way up until like a month before the fight, I got relocated to a store like 50 miles away from my from my house. So then I'm commuting 100 miles a day, like a month before the fight. And uh, I just wasn't training right. And uh, I just gasped. Honestly, if you watch the Chandler Cole fight, I think I was lighting him up. I was, I was putting hands on him. And then, like, he took me down, but I stood right back up. Like, he couldn't really hold me down, and then I just got too tired to do anything. I would love to get a rematch with Chandler Cole, to be honest with you. I would love to fight that dude again. Yeah, that fight was in 2018 in the main event of Valor Fights 51 for the Valor title. He was a great opponent as he's fought for the PFL, and he was in the most recent season of the Ultimate Fighter. And I agree with you. You had the speed advantage, but he was able to take her back and get the knockout win but you do look so great in these wins. Is it hard for you to not stay comfortable in these positions where you're not necessarily trying all that hard for these fights, but yet you're getting these dominant wins? Well, see, so, okay. So what happened in the Chandler Cole fight is I had hit him with like a, a push kick, like, like twice or something in that round before. 
And I threw the shittiest kick I've ever thrown in my life. Like I was so exhausted. I literally just like lifted my foot and put it in his hands. Like I, I could tell when I did it, even he was surprised because he like looked at my foot and then he looked at me. Like there was like a half a second where he's like, what the hell? And then he just tripped me and took me down. In that situation, I knew there was short time. I could just kind of, I my internal clock knew that there was short time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to belly down, kind of expose my neck. He's going to try to get this choke. I'm going to fight the choke off for, you know, 30 seconds, and we're going to go in the second round. And uh, the dude did not go for the choke, buddy. He uh, he went to smashing my head in. So that was just kind of a mistake right there. Uh, like I said, I expected him to go for a choke. I was like, man, I'm going to expose my neck a little bit. He's not going to be able to tap me out. Because, I, I mean, I had a lot of confidence in my, like, my defense as far as, like, uh, submission defense. But, again, he just didn't go the way I thought he was going to go. He went to the ground and pound. And I really feel like, you know, they stopped it with, like, what, like seven seconds left or something like that? 4.48, so about 12 seconds. I, yeah, 12 seconds left. A lot can happen in 12 seconds. At that point in time, we were both exhausted. We were both pretty tired. I would have liked to have seen a second round, but I understand why the ref stopped it. You know what I mean? I wasn't really, like, super hurt as much as I was, like, uh, you know, just exhausted and fatigued. I, I would love to get that one back, man. That's one. That's the one that haunts me. And no disrespect to Chandler. I think he's had a good career. I just think I'm better than him, man. And it's hard, it's hard to lose to somebody that you think you're better than. That one eats at me because I feel like he got one on me that he shouldn't have got. And I think maybe, again, this is just me talking. This is probably my ego. But I think part of him knows that he got me and he shouldn't have got me. I think he knew, like I said, I was lighting him up on the feet. Like, he really, like, could not hit me like that. I saw everything coming. I was peppering him. It's just, dude, he was a big dude. And it's hard to hold him up against the cage. And I just got tired. Uh, There's no excuse for it. I just wasn't in shape. So he, he was in shape. I wasn't. And he smashed my head in talking to Aaron the Alpha Bush on Forge in Ohio. You came back with a statement victory after that loss, Aaron, over Kelvin Fitzial at B2 Fighting Series 157 in the co-main event. You came out, landed a takedown immediately, transitioned to side control, cut him up with elbows, and then took his back and got that rear naked choke in the first round. What did it feel like to return after four years and put on that type of performance? Probably one of the better feelings I've had in my fight career, just because I had never gone that long without proving that I was the baddest man walking. You know what I mean? Like, I know I've never, it's been four years since I, uh, you know, put my hands on somebody. So when I finally got that, like, that rush, that, you know, that little high that you get when you do it, it was definitely rewarding me. It, it reminded me that I am the best. Like, a lot of the insecurities that you have as a fighter, like, oh, am I really as tough as I think I am? Is I Am I as good as I think I am? Am I really the best? Am I really the, like, a lot of the insecurities that you have as a fighter go away after you win for a little bit. So, like, when I beat him, that was, like, four years of, like, uncertainty. Like, oh, man, am I really tough? Am I really the baddest? Like, so when I went out there and I smoked him, I pretty much just looked at everybody. I looked at his corner and I was like, I'm the best. I'm the best. You repeatedly said after that fight that you were the best. I haven't seen you say that in any of your other fights, when did you start saying and even believing that you were the best? I mean, I've always kind of believed I was the best. So much so, I believed I was the best that I didn't try. I kind of had like the BJ Penn attitude kind of with everything. And it's like, I just feel like I'm so, and again, this is like an ego. I just feel like I'm so much better than most people. 
naturally for some reason things just happen well for me like like I said there's no reason why I should be as good as I am there's no reason why I should be a five and one professional fighter like I don't I didn't really try that hard I just love MMA I, I'm a smart person I kind of just had a knack for it so like I've always really felt I was the best and I just feel like people forgot how good I was after those four years like when and especially when you're like when you're 350 pounds and you try to tell people like, no, dude, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I'm a professional athlete. Like, I'm the man. They're looking at you like, oh, whatever, fat ass. Like, get out of here. You're just some fat dude. With, you know what I mean? It was, it felt good to remind myself, to remind everybody, I'm the man. Don't forget that, like, I've been doing this for a long time. And like, like we said at the beginning of the interview, I was doing this before it was cool. I was doing it before it was popular, before it was mainstream. I'm just a real fighter. I was doing it before it was the cool thing to do. You played the heel in that fight as well. I'm not sure if there was bad blood between you and your opponent, but you beat him in his hometown of Lexington. You said after the fight that you were glad that you shut up the crowd and hoped everyone went home unhappy. I mean, this was all-time stuff, Aaron. Talk me through that post-fight interview. Uh, You know, dude, I'm a big wrestling fan. I got Macho Man Randy Savage had oh, on my side. I am too, man. Love it. If you wanna if you wanna paint me to be the heel and you wanna paint him to be the baby face, let's go. I'll be the heel all day. I don't care. So like, you know, when I show up to a crowd and they they boo me or you know, I get it a lot. I get a lot being like looking the way I look and fighting the dudes who look the way I, they look. Like if you look at Kelvin, I that he's big and jacked and ripped and then you got me and they're all looking at me like, Oh, he's gonna get beat or they're cheering for him, booing me, and it's just like I cannot wait to shut you guys up. I cannot wait for you guys to go home and have like the most awkward car ride home because you're like, damn, that really just happened. We just wasted our whole night. We just wasted our $40 to come and watch our dude get smashed in, in the first round with zero offense at all, just get dominated. So like, if you want me to be the heel, I'll be the heel. If you want me to be the face, I'll be the face. But don't, don't take me out to be, you know, the invader from Ohio coming into this dude's hometown and expect me not to act like it. And that's exactly what you did. You were that invader from Ohio, acted that heel, and their performance, it was phenomenal. You, you sent everybody home sad that night. Right now, you are ranked first among active Ohio professional heavyweight fighters. Is this something you pay attention to, and do you feel like there might be a target on your back as you move forward in MMA? There's definitely a target on my back. But it's, it's something I pay attention to just because I think it's sweet. You know what I mean? I think it's cool that other people see my talent. And honestly, being recognized makes me want to work harder because it's like, okay, you think I'm good now? Like, dude, I'm not even trying. Wait until I try it. I'll blow your mind. I, I was going to fight in September, but I tore my groin. Uh, I was going to fight Austin Green out of Georgia, who's uh, – He's a pretty highly touted prospect. He's undefeated. He beat Antoine Phillips in the first round of B2. And, you know, I had a lot of respect for Antoine. I was going to fight Antoine before that fight, before he lost that fight. And then once he lost that fight, I was kind of uninterested in Antoine. I was like, I'm just going to fight the dude that beat you. And then I tore my groin, so that fight wasn't able to happen. Um, I really think beating Kelvin really motivated me to, like, hop back on the horse and, like, do the thing again. Yeah, you said in an interview after that fight that you enjoyed fighting for B2 Fighting Series. I'm sure 
Uh, aspirations might be even higher than that, though. I've seen you use hashtags like UFC and Bellator in some of your social media posts. Do you have a preference among the major promotions and leagues in the sport that you'd like to be a part of if they were all coming at you saying, hey, we won Aaron Bush? I do have a preference. I do have a preference. I don't know if I should say that. I don't want to piss anybody off if they, if they ever hear this. That's fair. Like, Damn, you wanted to go. You wanted to go here. Honestly, if if I could pick, uh, there's pros and cons with each promotion. I feel so. You got Bellator, which is like a smaller promotion than UFC. Um, I feel like UFC is kind of like, not that nobody wants to fight there, but like. It's not the most comfortable place for fighters, but if you want to succeed and you want to get that recognition as being the best in the world, you got to win in the UFC. Winning in the, any other promotion doesn't matter. It does not matter when it comes to like all-time greats, and it doesn't. It, it doesn't matter. Like your championship is kind of voided. That's unfortunate, I think. You know what I mean? But that's just the reality of how people view it. But I feel like a promotion like Bellator is going to give you like a almost a more homey vibe if that makes sense it's going to be you know a smaller more local they probably care a little bit more about their fighters than uh you know the the ufcs or whatever but if i had to pick i would pick bellator if i could pick anywhere i'd fight in bellator just because it almost feels like a mom and pop shop compared to like mcdonald's you know what i mean does it give you confidence that you'd be able to make it to Bellator, even if the UFC, if that is the route that you go in, knowing that you have been competitive with a guy like Chandler Cole, who I mentioned was on the most recent season of Tough, or a Jimmy Lawson, who you might be fighting in April, and he was just on Dana White's Contender Series. You're fighting these guys who have been exposed on those stages. Oh, yeah, for sure, buddy. Uh, I mean, dude, I, I was out at Jackson Wink for like three months. I trained out at Jackson Wink for like three months. And I got to say, man, I really think I'm sweet, dude. I think I'm kind of the man. You know, I'm not saying I went to Jackson Wink and just absolutely killed everybody. But, dude, I was very competitive. I wasn't in good shape, but I was very competitive. I was, you know, rolling well with guys. And I, I just did well. I had a good experience out there. And, like, it, it did give me confidence to know, like, okay, like, this is some of the best dudes in the world. And you can hang with these dudes. So I just know, I know if I ever got a shot, I could make it. The thing was, I had the mindset for a long time. Okay, if you if you ever get the shot, that's when you'll take it serious and you'll start training then. Well, I'm 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 training now because I know it's gonna come. If I beat if I beat this Jimmy Lawson or James Lawson or if I beat anybody, really, uh, it doesn't even have to be him. Honestly, I could fight another bum, get to six and one, seven and one or something, and my regular loan will get me something. I want to fight. I want to fight this dude. I want to fight somebody who's tough. And I think James or Jimmy Lawson hit with his wrestling pedigree. And I think wrestling being the best martial arts for MMA, it's like I said, it's something that excites me more than fighting another bum. It's something that you know, stepping up in competition and fighting him. And let's just say I beat this dude. Let's say I beat Jimmy or James. When I fight somebody in Bellator or UFC or PFL or wherever it is. If I find out they're an all-American wrestler, I'm going to be like, all right, I already smashed an all-American wrestler. So it, it's mostly just about me f trying to figure out how good I am. Like, I think I'm this good and, like, putting it to a test. And, like I said, it excites, it excites me to fight somebody as good as he is because he's going to test me. He's going to 
put me into situations that aren't comfortable and that I'd probably rather not be in. And it's just been a while since I've been in a fight. I haven't really been in too many fight fights. Like a lot of my, a lot of them is just me walking in there and just walking through people. I'm excited to scrap. And I think this dude is going to scrap with me. I think, I don't think he's a, he's just going to lay over for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. You want that, that war, that true war in the octagon. Everybody kind of wants it a little bit. Yeah. If you're fighting for the right reasons, I feel like you're always looking for somebody to kick your ass. Like you're always looking for that dude who can beat you up. You just never find him sometimes when you're good. You know what I mean? But like, why else are you doing it? Why are you fighting if you're not testing yourself or you think that dude can beat you up? Like, dude, when, I, when I'm at a bar or something or if I'm out and someone talks like trash to me, like me fighting your average human being is like the equivalent of like beating up my eight-year-old daughter or like my girlfriend or something. You know what I mean? And dude, I have no interest in that. So like the reason why I fight competitively and professionally is because I'm kind of looking for that dude who can shut me up. I'm kind of looking for that one. When you went to Jackson Wink, were there any notable names that you may have grappled with, wrestled with, sparred, anything like that? I mean, the one I went with most was probably Christian Edwards, uh, Devin Clark. Dontel Mays was out there for a while. Uh, those dudes are incredible athletes. Yeah, some good UFC and, and Bellator athletes right there. Yeah, you know, oh, dude, they're, they're, they were great. They're great guys. Um, there's a lot. The thing about, the thing about Jackson Lee is their amateur fighters are good, but man, like, Everybody at Jackson Wink is so good. Everybody at those those academies like that, they're just so talented. They don't they they sacrifice everything to to move there and train there. Like so it was just it was a real cool experience being around those people like that who who give it all for it. There's a lot of other people out there like Holly Holm, right. Michelle Waterson out there. When I walked in there, the first day I walked into Jackson Wink, Michelle Waterson thought I was Seth Rogan for a second. I was like, damn. <laughs> I was super excited to meet you. And she was like, Seth Rogen? She was sparring. I think her and Holly were sparring when I first walked into the gym. And they stopped sparring. And they were like, is that Seth Rogen? I was like, no, unfortunately, I'm, from, I'm just some dude. Just some fat chubby <laughs> dude with curly hair. Uh, were you starstruck at all walking in there seeing those those fighters? Oh, yeah. I mean, Holly Holm, probably more than most. Because uh, Holly Holm is a legend to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, she is just somebody who accomplished a lot in, you know, both boxing and MMA. And she was a real, just like trendsetter, I guess, uh, like trailblazer. She was a real trailblazer for like women's martial arts. Um, and like her knocking out Ronda Rousey was probably one of the best things that happened to women's MMA. You know what I mean? That shock value, like, oh my God, Ronda Rousey goes down. Like, yeah, one of the biggest moments in UFC history. Yeah, yeah. So like, I got a lot of respect for her. Honestly, Greg Jackson, I was a little starstruck with Greg Jackson because uh, I just got a lot of respect for what he does and just like what he's done. And there's another fighter who, you know, I have a huge respect for who's kind of had ups and downs in his career that I was a little, little starstruck about. And he's probably one of the lesser known guys, Aaron Pico. When I met Aaron Pico, I was a little starstruck by Aaron Pico. I got a, little, I got a lot of respect for Aaron. You know, he, uh, at 18 years old, he was like, almost an Olympian. Then he goes into boxing. He's at, well, not boxing. He goes into MMA. He's like an elite level boxer, high, high level wrestler. Like I got a lot of respect for Aaron Pico. So 
those were probably the ones that I was most starstruck. Holly Holm, Greg Jackson, and Aaron Pico. Yeah, Aaron Pico, a Bellator featherweight fighter. Once again, this is Aaron the Alpha Bush with us on Forge in Ohio. Aaron, I'll close with this. I know you're a salesman aside from just fighting. You're still young relatively at 30 years old. Is the goal one day to become fully dependent on your MMA career? My goal is it to be fully dependent on MMA career. I would like to own and operate my own gym. I'd like to give I'd like to give back to people. I'd like to train others. Again, I got two kids right now who like I train, I coach them in wrestling and you know, I, I I teach them how to box and like strike and things like that as much as they'll let me at this age. You know what I mean? Uh, I've always had a knack for, for making things simple to people. I've always had a knack for communication and, you know, making even complicated things understandable. So like I would love my, my, my goal is to pretty much get the accolades to where I can open up my own gym and people are going to trust me and the knowledge and the information that I give them. You know what I mean? You know, if I open, if I make it to the UFC and I fight in the UFC, if I make it to Bellator, my gym is going to be owned and operated by a UFC vet or a Bellator vet, or it, it's just going to have a lot more of an accolade. Hopefully we see you in April, Aaron, against Jimmy Lawson. I always end interviews, though, on this show by connecting the combat sports athlete I'm interviewing to the best state in the country. You're from Lancaster, which means you were forged in Ohio. So here's Lancaster, the chance Ohio, for the state of Ohio. OH. IO, baby. Ohio versus the world. Exactly, man. Thanks for the time to come on the show, Aaron. I know the future is bright for you, and I know that you're just a fight or two away from making it to one of those major promotions. Good luck in the future with training, and hopefully we can talk again soon, uh, maybe when you fight next in April. Perfect, man. Thanks for having me on. It was a good time. That was Aaron the Alpha Bush, just the second professional mixed martial arts fighter we've had on the program and the first heavyweight we've had on the program as well. He's 5-1, has power in his punches, has a strong grappling background, and his story is truly inspirational. That'll do it for episode six of Forge in Ohio. I'll be back next week with yet another interview. But until then, you know what to do. Subscribe, download, and share this podcast with others. I've been your host, Jake Marin, and this was Forged in Ohio.